All right, welcome to The Lineup, the newly rebranded podcast. The podcast normally, formerly known as Third String, I think is what they're calling us these days, right, Pete? Uh, yeah, we're we're kind of like Prince in that we've got a right. symbol now. I mean, we're, we're pretty cool. We're exactly. pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's good to be back with you, buddy. Likewise, man, likewise. We're going to talk about college football today. We have, of course, bowl season upon us, and we're, we're already really in the middle of, well, not the middle. We're in the beginnings of bowl season, but... Nothing too compelling yet, but what we thought we'd do today for you, our dear listener, is to break down the list of 38 different bowl games and basically give you a watchability index so that you can plan your holiday season appropriately and not miss any good football action. So, like I said, 38 different bowl games. We have these ranked from 1 to 38. What we did was set them all up in a big spreadsheet, and then we each ranked them on a scale of watchability from 1 being the most watchable to 38 being the least watchable. And then we uh, we average those, and we have our final rankings coming out of that. So you may be surprised, but hopefully not, to know that Alabama, Oklahoma, is not actually the number one most watchable matchup in this bowl season. Now, I should mention 38 bowls. Of course, there will be 39, and we did not rank the eventual national championship bowl game. But uh, that's just because it's not uh, it's not determined yet based on who the winners of the sem- college football playoff semifinals will be. So... Pete, are you ready to kick this thing off? I I am. I'm looking at our list of 38, and my goodness, there's a lot of football games. <laughs> there are. I really wanted to do a second iteration of our bowl game game that we did last year on Third String, and uh, where, where basically I gave you the names of bowls, and you could guess if they were real or fictitious. And I yeah. think there's there's honestly not as many interesting names as there were last year, but there are some good ones that we can give a shout out to right now. My personal favorite, I think very hard to top, is the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. That is <laughs> that is taking place in Tampa between Marshall and the hometown South Florida uh, on the the twentieth of December. So if you want to if you want to watch a bowl game that is compelling for no other reason other than its name, that is the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. That's that's the bowl for you. Okay. I, I think that's a classic. I'm also a fan of the Cheez It Bowl. I, I know it's <laughs> I know it's simple, but for some reason, the Cheez It Bowl between Cal and TCU in Phoenix this year. Uh, I I just love the name. I have to imagine the prizes, not the prizes, the giveaways for the students are going to be good. The commercials will be on point. I'm I'm excited for that one. I totally agree. I think there is. Am I correct in thinking that the Cherubundi Tart Cherry Bowl is is no longer as of this year? That was one of my favorites from uh, last year. Let me do a quick search. I don't see it in our list here. No, I I don't actually know who the sponsor of that one is, but I isn't it now just the Boca Raton Bowl, which I think is yeah. actually being played this evening. Oh, you're, no, you're absolutely right. So let's see. I have Boca Raton. Let's see. So it's not in our list as the Cherubundi Boca Raton Bowl, but it actually is the Cherubundi Boca Raton Bowl. So our list is oh. a little bit off on that. Okay. But last year it was better because it was the Cherubundi Tart Cherry Bowl. Which was and it was the Lane Kiffin Bowl. Come right. on, Zach. Yes, Let's get also back to roots here. Yes, and we were on the hype train, right, Pete? We we were we were the uh, the train has slowed down a little this year. It has oh my goodness, <laughs> but, yes. Uh, I don't I don't think Lane Kiffin's prospects for leaving FAU are looking too good right about now. What do you think? Uh, I agree. Halfway through the season, I I thought he was going to be a lock with how many firings we were seeing in college football this year. Well, and with I his Twitter, no, he's gotten quiet. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's gotten quiet. So yeah, I mean they um, had a losing record, five and seven on the year, so not even bowl eligible. So 
they are not playing in the Cherubundi Tartari Boca Raton Bowl this year. It's a, it's a, tr- it's a true loss for all college football fans. It's a travesty. Is it what is. It is. It's a travesty. A travesty and a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, should we get started on this, Pete? Let's let's do it, man. All right. So today, um, as we speak, actually, what do you know? The Boca Raton. Boca Raton Cherubundi Bowl is is underway between UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham, and Northern Illinois. That is being played on FAU's home turf in Boca Raton. And uh, I had this one. I'm just bringing this up now. This is not an order because it, I'm just bringing it up because it's being played right now. But I had this one actually fairly highly ranked at 15 because I like the storyline of UAB. They resurrected their program just a few years ago, and then here they are playing in a bowl. They're, they're a bowl eligible and... Um, they'll look into uh, to bring it to the Northern Illinois Huskies. So the UAB Blazers went ten and three. They uh, uh, are conference champs in their um, conference and facing off against Northern Illinois Huskies. So I think that'd be that'd be a good game to watch if you were watching one. Of course, by the time you listen to this podcast, it will have already happened. But um, there it is. Any thought? I- I like that. I like the storyline. You're absolutely right. I, I didn't have it as high on the, the watchability index that we'll get here in a second. Um, but I like UAB. They only came back in 2017, as you mentioned. Right. Northern Illinois is always kind of a feel-good story. I'm not really sure why, but that's that's a fun program to root for. It's just the matchup of UAB versus Northern Illinois. I didn't really know what to expect. I was looking at where these guys rank uh, nationally in terms of both offense and defense, and really nothing was jumping off the page here. So a little lower for me, but uh, totally agree. Uh, Tuesday night, at least we're, at least we're into the bowl season now, uh, starting out with the Boca Raton bowl. So I, I agree. Watchability solely because for me, we're in it and that was exciting. Yeah, totally agree. Um, okay. So let's start with the bottom here and we will, uh, well, let, let me actually first do a quick nod to games that have already happened. So, um, the, uh, New Mexico bowl, between North Texas and Utah State, the Camellia Bowl between Eastern Michigan and Georgia Southern, the New Orleans Bowl between Appalachian, Appalachian State or Appalachian State and Middle Tennessee State, Appalachian State, um, the team that uh, is best remembered this year for having almost upset Penn State in the opening weekend, they yeah. they absolutely destroyed Middle Tennessee State. That was not a competitive game, and uh, I think that surprised absolutely no one. And then on Pete's home turf there at Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada, Arizona Absolutely. State and Fresno State played on the 15th. So we're not going to include those in our discussions tonight because they've already happened and we could give you the watchability rankings, but it probably wouldn't help you a whole lot since they've already elapsed. So hey. let's just go uh, Let's just go bottom to top here, Pete. 38 up to 1. So 38, least least watchable. This would be what, what Bill Simmons calls the uh, the poop factables, <laughs> the, ones, the ones you don't <laughs> want to actually waste time watching and tied for the bottom, the least compelling matchup of bowl season happens on December 29th at 1.15 p.m. The Arizona Bowl in Tucson, Arizona, between Arkansas State and Nevada. Any any comments on the bottom feeder of our watchability rankings, Pete? Uh, I don't know how this is a December 29th bowl game, if I'm being completely honest. I, was, I, I think I that is what too. stands out to me. I was also wondering that, that. This is like... That this is, is prime bowl season. <laughs> I know. It's really pretty cruel. I have to think though that the one fifteen p.m. kickoff is because no one's really going to be serious. Like it's, it's just a warm up. You know what I mean? It's like a it's like when you go to a concert and you have the opening act, right? You have the band that's yeah. opening, and it's the band that nobody's ever heard of before, but they play loud music for the early mosh pit joiners who want to just sort of get in on the action early. Like that's what I think of as the Arizona Bowl right now. Later well, later on the day, you have a lot more compelling action. 
it's a 1.15 start, so that is going to be 11.15 Arizona time where that's being played in Tucson. Right. So, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, interesting. That's for sure. Interesting. So you have the Arizona Bowl. And then, um, let's see, earlier, that's that's along with the Belk Bowl, South Carolina and Virginia, also not super compelling. But that's also going to be played at the same time as the Peach Bowl between Florida and Michigan. So really, all the TV traffic is going to be watching that game. The uh, the Belk Bowl and the Arizona Bowl will be the beneficiaries of commercial breaks in the Peach Bowl when, when people flip to other football games that are, that are going on. And then later in the day, the Cotton Bowl between Clemson and Notre Dame and the Orange Bowl between Alabama and Oklahoma. So like I said, it's the opening act, right? It's the it's uh it's just the opening band for the yeah. CFP games later in the day. Okay. Fair. Well Fair. we'll just skim through the the rest of the bottom ones here because we don't need to spend that much time talking about thirty seven and on up. Okay. So with an overall watchability average of thirty five point five, we have the Frisco Bowl that already elapsed, 34.5. The Dollar General Bowl, good name, between Buffalo and Troy. That's happening in Mobile, Alabama on the 22nd. Buffalo and Troy haven't done anything too exciting in football this year. Troy uh, was was exciting a couple years ago when they were, were uh, I think they, they upset LSU, right? Wasn't that last year, Pete? Uh, yes, it <laughs> was either it last was. year or the year before. It's definitely recent memory. So Troy was fun last year, less fun this year, especially when they're playing Buffalo. Overall watchability of 33. We have the Bahamas Bowl between Florida International and Toledo. Um, nothing too exciting so, there, except that it's in the Bahamas, which is pretty cool. So what I will say is uh, the Athletic actually ran a little story on the Bahamas Bowl. Really? I don't think this is going to be a great game to watch, but I think the people-watching aspect of it is going to be hilarious. For, for years and years, the Bahamas Bowl has become known for not having great security. And while that might seem frightening to some people, let's let's put the the positive spin on it. And what that turns into is most people can bring in their own beer. Love it. Um, you will have you will have people standing on the sidelines next to players, which again might be a little scary for me on TV. Kind of hilarious. Um, and you have um, a place that really doesn't know or understand much about football. No zero uh, in the Bahamas. Yeah. So when you think of the Bahamas and you think of collegiate athletics, you probably think of the great college basketball tournaments we get over Thanksgiving. So I, I think the people of the Bahamas are, are happy for the business, happy for the excitement. And overall, it is just kind of a, it's a weird college football scene to watch. You know, college football has done such a concerted job over the past couple of years in keeping fans away from the sidelines. Schools get in trouble when fans rush the field. Obviously, no alcohol in the stadiums. And then right. we have the Bahamas Bowl, uh, where where anything goes, much like it does um, in the Bahamas. So I, I think that's kind of fun. Okay. Well, that's uh, if I had known that, I would have given it a higher watchability rating, <laughs> just, just based on well, that. Well, I, I gave it a whopping 31. Just, <laughs> wow. I just want to say a that whopping 31. four spots higher than my 35, <laughs> average of 33. Next on the list, we have the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. And the famous Idaho Potato Bowl is played in Albertson Stadium. So th- this is a very food-themed uh, matchup between Brigham Young and Western Michigan. But uh, I ranked this one pretty low. I imagine you did for the same reasons, Pete. Brigham same. Young, really not very good this year. Not a fun team to watch. Not doing well in the Mountain West. I mean, they, they're they bowl eligible, but barely. And Western Michigan has not been nearly as exciting really since uh, the the Corey Davis era. Any thoughts on that, Pete? Anything to add? Uh, not really, to be okay. honest. Yeah, that's fine. I, this, this is always a weird one just because it's on the Smurf turf, right? That's right. what I'm thinking. Yep. It's, it's, it's on the Smurf yeah, turf. Yeah, Boise State home field. Boise State actually field. playing. So it's, I still don't understand why that's allowed per NCAA rules. It's just weird. 
It's really weird. I, I don't think it is anymore. I think they are grandfathered at this oh, point, right? Okay. Does doesn't all turf have to look natural now, really because of Boise State and, and how people have complained for years about how it looks on TV or it sounds how right. it I mean it, it is person. an eyesore on TV. It's not it's not a pleasant yeah. aesthetic experience. Um yeah. I would rather that they have the orange of their uniforms on the field. That'd be exciting. Just a bright orange field. <laughs> all right let's let's Four speed KTVs through these might take a hit let's speed through some of these less compelling ones at uh 28.5 just beating out the texas bowl is the birmingham bowl between memphis and wake forest uh not very compelling there just stop me pete if you have thoughts on these specific matchups at 28 the texas bowl between baylor and vanderbilt man baylor how far they have fallen since the art Bryles era Boy, I was going to say the exact same thing. You remember a couple of years ago when like RG3 was there in yeah. 2010 and we we have these these Alamo Bowls where they're putting up 55 yes. and 52 points and boy, uh Baylor obviously had the, the cultural issues of a lifetime there, so at least it's good to see them finally getting bowl eligible and being competitive again. Uh when some thought that they could um if the NCAA was not afraid to give the death penalty, I think Baylor could have been up for it. Right. So it's it's good to see them bouncing back a little. Um, probably for the best that they got a bowl game in Texas there with the Texas Bowl in Houston. Uh, so at least that should help their fan base. But overall, uh, interesting, not compelling on this one. Yeah, I think that'll almost be a, a home game for the Baylor Bears with that fan base yeah. that can travel to Houston. So that should be that should be good. Good for Matt Rule, the Baylor head coach, who used to be the coach at Temple. And speaking of Temple, that's next on our list at 27.5. Ooh, nice transition. Thank you very nice much. Nice transition. That's the Independence <laughs> Bowl between Duke and Temple. That's going to be played in Louisiana. Um, I mean, I think, again, a lot of these matchups would be way more compelling if they were happening a year or two ago. Temple was very strong in the uh, 2015 uh, into 2016 season. Um, and Duke, same thing. Uh, Duke was actually in the conversation for... Uh, one of the best teams in the ACC at that time. Yeah. And now now they're just sort of, uh, you know, six to eight win teams that, that aren't very compelling. So low scores for us there. I mean, it would be fun to be a player in the next one. Uh, this is actually really a home game for Hawaii, but they are playing at Aloha Stadium against Louisiana Tech in the Hawaii Bowl. That's on the 22nd. So that is tied um, with the Independence Bowl for watchability. Moving up the list, the 24... Uh, the 24th most desirable game to watch, uh, Miami against Wisconsin. And uh, again, I think in the years previous, this could be a really compelling matchup. But Pete, I'm really dis- I've been disappointed at these teams this year. I really thought Wisconsin was going to be a lot better than they were. And uh, I, th- I keep thinking Miami might be on its way back, but they, they always pull a head fake. Yeah, it- and so... For, for everyone listening, how we did these rankings is Zach and I independently ranked these 1 through 38, and I was very careful not to look at how you ranked this. And now I'm looking when I can see the, the spreadsheet now. You had it as the 25th most watchable, and I had it as the, the 24th. Yeah. And you look at these teams, and you're thinking, how can this not be a top 15 matchup? Right. But you look at the way Wisconsin fell, um, just like you said, the, the way that Miami has just ebbed and flowed so much. I mean, you think about uh, kind of the beginning of the end for them almost goes back to their bowl game last year where they just got stomped and how they, they just have not been able to get over the hump with Mark Richt. I think that fan base is quickly turning on him. I think he has two years max left in Coral Gables if he doesn't get them an ACC title. Yeah. Um, I I think one of the most interesting things about this game is the fact that it's Miami, a obvious warm weather team playing Wisconsin, an obvious cold weather team for the most part, in New York on December 27th in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a good point. Game. I didn't even think about that. 
it it'll look neat on TV, but this this could be ugly um, just in terms of what Miami team is actually going to show up. And that's that's kind of bowl games in a nutshell. I realize that was some John Madden analysis there, but <laughs> you just really don't know what you're going to get with these Mark Rick led teams. I mean, I who's going to be their quarterback? I don't even know at this point. So yeah. Miami is got to be top five in most disappointing college football teams this year. How do you feel about repurposing Yankee Stadium to host a college football game, Pete? Did, did you watch the Syracuse-Notre Dame game earlier this year? That Was, was it the Shamrock Classic or something? I, I did, yeah. Something something cheesy like that. <laughs> um, I I liked it four or five years ago. I think at this point we're doing it a little too much. Yeah, like, I, I agree. I, I think I agree. The, the excitement of it is over. It's, it's a neat venue, especially a place like Yankee Stadium, but this Yankee Stadium has only existed since, what, 2008, Right, it's not, it's not the Yankee Stadium, right? It's, yeah. yeah it's the, a different the history vibe entirely. The, the baseball team. Yeah. It's, not the, it's not the ballpark. So right. um, we're going to do that a couple more times through this bowl season over the next couple of years, but um, I'm, I'm over it. Okay. To be honest. Fair enough. Well, that did tie the Pinstripe Bowl did tie with the Cherubundi Boca Raton Bowl. So that tells you all you need to know about how far Miami and Wisconsin have fallen. But then moving on, uh, it's Pete's favorite name, the Cheez It Bowl between California and <laughs> Texas Christian TCU. Uh, this is happening in Phoenix, Arizona. Again, I mean, a lot of these games, like we've already said, are are former powerhouses that just have underperformed this year or the past few years. And I think this this game is no exception. Um, and then moving up the, the bad boy mowers, Gasparilla bowl, um, watchability boosted by the name alone, but this is between Marshall and <laughs> South Florida. And I like this one because of the, the herd. Of course, if you've seen the movie Marshall, you understand the emotional, uh, draw of any, any game that that team plays, but also USF. I'm a Charlie strong fan. I'm a fan of what they've done this year there and what he's done in general. I think he left Texas, was booted out a year too early, and he had that program headed in the right direction. So I would be interested in watching this matchup. I have this ranked as the 16th most interesting. Pete, you were a little, actually a good bit lower than me at 30. So we settled on an average of 23, but that's the bad boy mowers Gasparilla Bowl on the 20th at 8 p.m. What do you think about that one, Pete? Yeah, and you, you know, I am a I am a Marshall Thundering Herd fan. Um, they they had some real ups and downs this year. Um, they actually uh, I owe them quite a quite a debt of gratitude after they picked up a 12th game to play Virginia Tech to get Virginia Tech bowl eligible this year. Um, I I think my problem with this game is there is no signature win really on either side. Right. So I I don't really know what I'm getting out of these teams that they both had very good records. Um, both pretty good defenses as well. Um, the Marshall defense kind of got torched by a surprisingly hot Virginia Tech offense. Um, but overall, I just I, I don't see either of these teams providing much of a spark to really make it interesting. What I am interested in that I have to look up is Marshall doesn't like to fly to any games because exactly as you mentioned, going back to the movie We Are Marshall, uh, they like to bus everywhere. So I don't actually know how they're going to get to Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida, obviously where the Buccaneers play. Um, so I... I, I don't really know what the travel plans are, how that's going to affect the players. That could be something interesting to, to watch as well with this game. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, all right, next up on the list at 22nd, and actually I ranked this 22nd, you ranked this 22nd, so it averaged yeah. to 22nd. Georgia Tech and Minnesota, the Quick Lane Bowl. This is being played in Detroit at Ford Field, which I think is is going to be a cool venue for sure. Um, these, these two teams, uh, some interesting... Uh, performance storylines from the season in general, but nothing remarkable in this matchup. So I, I had it ranked sort of uh, bottom third. So it is the Paul Johnson swan song out of Georgia Tech. So for that's true. Yeah, that's three, a good point. 
you three triple option fans out there in the world. This oh, yes. hopefully, please, for the love of God, is the last iteration of the triple option at Georgia Tech. Um, so I, I expect Georgia Tech to come out and play well for Paul Johnson's last game. Uh, there's a lot of people upset that for his final game in a year that Georgia Tech was much better than expected. They still weren't very good, yeah. but much better than expected. They're going to Detroit the day after Christmas uh, to play Minnesota. So it's it's kind of a, a weird draw for Georgia Tech, and hopefully for Paul Johnson's sake, after how long he's been coaching, that, that team performs. But I'm excited because it's the end of the triple option, which is the worst football in the world to watch. Oh, it's so, it's absolutely horrible. Good riddance, it's, Paul Johnson. Yeah, it's terrible. I totally agree with you. I also think on the other side of the football, uh, it'll be good to watch P.J. Fleck. I think his the end of his second yeah. year at Minnesota has gone pretty well. I mean, Minnesota's 6-6. Six and six. They kind of snuck into the postseason, but um, they, uh, they, they did so with a little bit of drama with two... Uh, winning two of its last three games of the season to become bowl eligible. They have a running back named Mohamed Ibrahim who's on pace to uh, eclipse the 1,000-yard rushing mark, which is pretty cool. So that's a, that's a good storyline to watch in that game, I think. So the, the Paul Johnson versus P.J. Fleck matchup. Okay, number 21.5, uh, South Carolina uh, and Virginia playing in Charlotte. Um, and then number 20, we have a ranked team here, number 25, Boise State, taking on Boston College in the Cotton Bowl. Um, any, any comments on that, Peter? Should we just keep going down the list? Um, so I, I would like to point out that, uh, with Virginia, Bronco Mendenhall, Bronco Mendenhall, excuse me, has done a great job rebuilding, um, a program that was in pretty dire straits. So, um, they, they had a pretty devastating loss to Virginia Tech there on Thanksgiving weekend. So I'm really interested to see how he gets this program to bounce back and if they can start setting themselves up for success in the, the 2019 season um, where this UVA team could be poised to, to really start making some noise in the ACC, which realistically they haven't done in about 10 years. So uh, I think that could be interesting. But um, overall, you know, I'm a fan of the fight in Adazios as well um, in the, the first responder bowl between Boston College and Boise State. So some interesting ones. And finally, if anyone is looking for a good follow on social media, the Belk Bowl Twitter account is one of the best bowl game Twitter accounts out there. Um, so give them a follow. They're pretty hilarious. I love how I can always count on you, Pete, to tell me who the, the best college football follows are on Twitter. I don't contribute much to this friendship, but <laughs> that one I can do. Uh, coming in at 19.5, the Gator Bowl, North Carolina State at Texas A&M. Uh, or not really at Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M will be the home team, but it'll be at uh, TIA Bankfield in Jacksonville, Florida. So this, of course, is Jimbo Fisher's debut as the coach, his bowl debut as the coach of the Aggies. Um, I think that's the biggest storyline to watch there, right? They are 8-4 and four on the season. They had some signature wins, including the that ridiculous seven-overtime win against LSU. Yeah. Um, so some cool storylines for the Aggies on the season, but still four losses as well. They're going up against a, a Wolfpack team that has only three losses, um, but I think it'll be a good game to watch. I would definitely put that in the top half of bowl matchups. Yep, I, I would totally agree. I This Texas A&M team has been very peculiar to watch this year, and NC State at one point um, was thought to be the only legitimate challenger to Clemson right. in the ACC, and then they've, of course, fallen off pretty significantly, barely squeaking out a win against UNC to, to end the, the regular season. So I think there's a lot more talent on the field in this game than we're giving it credit for, um, but that wasn't really enough to sway it up in the, the watchability factor for them. 
And the uh, Wolfpack has this quarterback named Brian Finley, who ha- is generating some draft buzz as a high round, maybe even first round draft guy. Uh, I do think, though, it's hard to be a quarterback on a Wolfpack team and not be named Russell Wilson and have people think that you're going to be a, a solid NFL quarterback. But something to watch yeah, for sure. Fair. I'm always interested in watching these you know, potential first rounders uh, in their bowl games, um, especially when they decide to play the bowl games, which um, some of them don't. We can talk about that with uh, Bryce Love coming up here. But uh, yeah. number 17.5 tied the both of these, the Music City Bowl and the Liberty Bowl. Music City Bowl is going to be Auburn and Purdue, played in Nashville in the Titan Stadium, and the Liberty Bowl, Missouri and Oklahoma State in Liberty Bowl Stadium. So I like both of these matchups. Um <clears throat> I gave them uh, both decent rankings. Actually, you were a little higher than me, Pete, on both of these. But I like the Auburn and Purdue matchup because it's SEC versus Big Ten. Uh, and, of course, Purdue is one of the the only team that upset Ohio State this year. So that is um, interesting. And uh, uh, Missouri and Oklahoma State, I see – anytime I see the Big 12 schemes going up against an SEC defensive scheme, I find that inherently interesting. There's at least some level of, of interest there. So the fact that Oklahoma State and Missouri are going at it is, I think, going to be a good game. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's exactly why I put um, Oklahoma State and Missouri as my 16 for watchability. Um, I think uh, this will be a great determiner. Missouri isn't exactly the defensive powerhouse that we see with some of the other SEC teams. Right. But overall, I mean, they're still ranked 23 in the nation. Absolutely. Um, they still had a very good defense this year. Um, and I, I enjoy watching Oklahoma State. I think back to last year with Mason Rudolph, and I think back to just how explosive um, Gundy can make those offenses. They're a lot of fun to watch. I mean, his mullet, not as fun to look no, at. No, definitely not. Overall, the Oklahoma State team is fun to watch. And then the Music City Bulls, you mentioned Auburn and Purdue. Um, I don't think we expected either of these teams to be where they are. They both took very different paths to get to this bowl. Yes. Game. Auburn, who for a while was thought to be a contender in the SEC, Obviously, that didn't happen. And Purdue, who I don't think anyone really thought would become bull eligible this year, not only beating Ohio State, but thrashing Ohio State, um, and then also having some very good wins down the stretch. Um, o- overall, this this Purdue team is a lot of fun to root for. Um, anyone who's seen uh, the Tom Rinaldi stories about what's going on in that locker room um, and, and how much they're reaching out to the fan base, um, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch Purdue right now. Yeah, I totally agree. I want to hurry up and get through some of these next ones before we get to some of the more marquee matchups of the bowl season. But first, let me ask you real quick. You gave this a bottom half ranking at number 20. I gave it a 13, averaged out to 16.5. But next up is the military bowl between Cincinnati and Virginia Tech. And you are a, a hokey through and through, Pete. So tell me why this is in the bottom half of the watchability rankings for you. Again, you just don't know what you're going to get really out of out of either of these teams. Um, so Cincinnati is led um, by, um, oh man, I can't remember their, their coach's name right now off the top of my head. It's uh, Luke. He was the head coach at Ohio State for a couple of years. Uh, Luke it'll, Fickle. He'll come yeah. back to me. Exactly. Thank you. Um, and, and I think this is a program that is absolutely on the rise. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Virginia Tech, they, they barely skated into a bowl game. And I think they played um, a tougher schedule than they get credit for in terms of um, – some of the opponents, I think, turned out better than we projected early on. Right. Uh, but at the same time, this Virginia Tech team suffered so many injuries. Um, I don't expect them to, to really unleash the playbook here. Virginia Tech is playing to have a winning season, to avoid a losing season for the first time in 25 years. Um, and I really think that is the motivation here. Cincinnati, on the other hand, I think is a um, rising very quickly through the ranks. Um, and, and I think that they are going to be 
maybe not a mainstay on the the professional, not professional, but on the college football scene here for the next few years. So I, I think uh, the two programs are definitely both on the up and up on a, at very different levels right yeah. now. I think that Cincinnati defense is going to stifle um, the Virginia Tech offense. Um, and I, I think the line opened at eight and a half. It is now shrunk to five and a half, but I would expect this to be at least a seven to 10 point game. Okay. Fair enough. All right, next, uh, let me zip through the next four here. Iowa and Mississippi State in the Outback Bowl. That's next up on our watchability rankings. I have um, uh, no detailed thoughts on that. Next up is Pittsburgh and Stanford, the Sun Bowl in El Paso. I did see that Bryce Love just announced he is not going to be playing in that game, and he's continuing this trend of high-round draft picks, really first-round draft picks, who are foregoing bowl games in order to uh, prep for the draft. And really, they say prep for the draft, the, the actual realities that they're trying to avoid injury because they don't want to jeopardize their draft ranking like Jalen Smith did playing for Notre Dame in their bowl game before he was drafted by the Cowboys and he's now having a productive NFL season but he missed out on uh, really two seasons of action because of his horrible knee injury and micro fracture repair and all of that so Bryce Love is continuing that trend the Stanford Cardinal will be without Bryce Love unfortunately for them in the Sun Bowl but fortunately for Pittsburgh and then uh, next up is Armed Forces Bowl. This is Army and Houston. Army has really done well this year. They've drastically yeah. overperformed preseason expectations. Um, they've been doing a lot of good work, but uh, they are an option offense team like all of the service academies are because they have small linemen who need to be able to do pull-ups and pass the Army Combat Fitness Test. So it'll be interesting to see them going up against uh, Houston, the Houston line with the likes of Ed Oliver, a potential first-round draft pick. Um Who's, who's a lot bigger than probably the entire Army line combined. Uh, next up, 12 and a half uh, watchability rankings, the Red Box Bowl between Michigan State and Oregon. I like this one because it is the uh, Oregon offense that is trying to be revitalized and, and capture recapture some of that Oregon legacy, that Pac-12 legacy, going up against a Mark D'Antonio team that uh, has certainly underperformed in instances this year, but has also been shown, shown flashes of the perennial... Uh, excellence that is a Michigan State defense. So I think that could be a good matchup. Justin Herbert's being talked about as a potential number one draft pick um, the season after next. Uh, so that that could be an interesting matchup as well. Any thoughts on any of those four games? Uh, I, I just think back to the comment you made a couple of minutes ago about how a year or two ago some of these matchups would have been epic. I'm looking at Michigan State and Oregon, and there's not a whole lot that's compelling to me. Yeah. Um, I think the location that they're playing at Levi Stadium will be interesting because that'll certainly help out Oregon. Um, but but overall, just not a whole lot doing it really in any of these games that you just rattled off for me. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed we lost Bryce Love in Pittsburgh-Stanford. Um, I think the Pittsburgh running back situation is going to be interesting there. Um, and Army's just been a feel-good story, yeah. so I'm, I'm glad to see them uh, getting right there. But, um, yeah, no, nothing else too crazy on that. By the way, I misspoke. I, I said, accidentally said that Justin Herbert is potential number one draft pick the year after next. He's actually el- draft eligible this May so uh, or this April, so he could be drafted this year. Um, okay, moving on. So now we're kind of getting into all of our ranked matchups, the, the more exciting, compelling ones. Number 10 on the watchability rankings, Pete. So we are now in top 10 territory. The, ho- right. the Holiday Bowl, Northwestern at Utah, played in San Diego, California. Um, let me just go through the first few of these, and we'll talk about them as a group. And then next up, tied at number 10, the Alamo Bowl, Iowa State at Washington State. And then after that, the uh, Citrus Bowl, Kentucky and Penn State playing in Orlando, Florida. I'll start off with that one. I think this Penn State team has really been disappointing. 
uh, James Franklin uh, started off the season so promising after that, uh, after squeaking out a win against uh, Appalachian State. But really, you, you could kind of feel the wheels coming off when they surrendered that horrible comeback to Ohio State in Happy Valley uh, in, what was it, week four or five of the season. And really, yeah. since then, the story of Penn State has been a team that has a talented quarterback who is uh, probably going only going to be a successful college quarterback and not at the NFL level, and really a team that is missing Saquon Barkley, the electric running back who's been carrying the New York Giants on his back this season. So Penn State is definitely missing him. Um, I think 12 is about right for their rank. I do think they'll win this game against Kentucky, and I, I don't think it'll be a boring game by any means, but... Um, for me, this is a, a lower watchability just because of the disappointment of Penn State and because Kentucky's not a perennial powerhouse or anything like that. And it's not like they were running the table uh, against teams this year. So to me, this is just a it's a matchup of two good, um, maybe very good teams, but teams that have significant holes as well. Any, any thoughts can on those? You believe, can you believe that this Kentucky football team has a higher ranking than the Kentucky basketball team right now? Like that's, that's <laughs> that just is insane outrageous. what's going yeah, on. It really is. Um, but, but dude, I, I totally agree that the Penn state team has been disappointing. You and I both were pretty high on them yeah. uh, in August when we did our, our college football preview. I think what's unfortunate about the, the Penn state situation is yes, they are missing Saquon Barkley. And obviously Saquon was as good as advertised as we're seeing in New yeah. York right now. Um, but Trace McSorley is just trying to do too much as the quarterback. Right. And I think in some ways it's it's really cost that team, which is unfortunate because how can you ever tell a guy that he's trying to do too much? Um, but you, you look at some of the decisions he's he's made. He loves pulling the ball down early yep. and not working through his progressions. Um, but overall, I think what I've learned about this Penn State team this year is as much as I like James Franklin, um, I think James Franklin is a better recruiter than he is a head coach. And I know that that's going to make some people very angry of me to say, I mean, they're ranked number 12 in the, in the country. They are still a great football team. Right. Um, and all of our, all of our Nittany Lion fans out there should be proud of this team and what they've done, especially over the last five or six years, what they've endured up there in happy Valley. But overall you watch the way that this team comes out. And I think of the loss to Ohio state. And I think of the loss to Michigan state coming off a bye week um, and the managing the emotions of this team is just not something he can do, which is really the name of the game in college football. Oh, I it mean, is. Yeah. I mean, you have a bunch of you, 18 to 22 year old testosterone laden, passionate type A competitors. And your job as a coach is in large part to corral those emotions together towards a goal. And if you can't do that, you know. Yeah, and and he had his epic speech about how Ohio State is one of those elite football teams, and they are, in Penn State, they are great, and they want to get to the elite level, but I'm not seeing that translate in the locker room right now. So I, I think James Franklin is a very good coach. I think he's a an excellent recruiter, but overall, the, the talent just isn't translating because they really can't get over this hump. I mean, we look at, what was that, two years ago, they got held out of the college football playoff. Pretty questionable if they should have jumped in as the number four team. That's another discussion. But overall, this Penn State team just cannot get over the hump, um, particularly against Ohio State. And that's that's really disappointing. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think this, this actually brings me to a point I was going to make about Michigan, too, which is that this I think Harbaugh and James Franklin suffer from the same syndrome. They're both very good at recruiting yeah. top-level talent, four-star and five-star recruits all over those rosters. But 
they just show a continued inability to win in the clutch moments in big games. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for Harbaugh, that goes all the way back to his NFL career when he went to the Super Bowl with the Niners. Um, when when you're in a must-win situation, um, those guys have not shown that they can do that. Now, I'm not I'm not writing them off and saying, obviously, they're really, really good coaches. I mean, I would put both of them in the top 10 of coaches in football, I think. Um, yeah. At least top 15. Uh, but you know, maybe, maybe it's a maturity issue. Just they, they need to have more coaching experience. They, you know, understand some more fundamentals of game management and play calling, things like that. I mean, all those things factor in a lot into those clutch moments of games. And I think you're right that it's something they haven't quite mastered yet. And that alone makes those games a little bit less compelling. It's not like, yeah. it's not like a matchup between two coaches. You know, it's not an urban Meyer, Nick Saban matchup, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, okay. Uh, at 7.5, this is tied with the uh, Citrus Bowl. Um, we have Syracuse and West Virginia. Uh, and my thought on that is uh, Dino Babbers, I think, doesn't get enough credit for doing what Agreed. he does with a, a an underrated Syracuse program and one that's not been a traditional powerhouse, but he's been able to turn, uh, turn I don't want to say unimpressive talent, but turn um, you know less than less talent than you'll find that traditional powerhouses and compete with them regularly and challenge them. Um, I think, uh, I think West Virginia similarly uh, is, is it was once more of a powerhouse than it is now. Uh, I, I was at the West Virginia, Texas game earlier this year when uh, West Virginia came back and beat Texas uh, with a two point conversion at the end of regulation. That was really exciting. Um, I think West Virginia is a really good team and I think this is a really good matchup and I don't really know um, where I would go with this if I were if I were betting on the matchup, but I think it'll be a compelling one. I I would take the over. There's gonna be a lot of yes. I totally agree game, with that. I, think I totally agree with that. However, um, going back to kind of your point on Bryce Love, uh, Will Greer has announced that he will not be under center for the the West Virginia Mountaineers in this game. Oh, I, did, I missed so that. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll see his backup coming. Wow. I mean, Will Greer is a senior. I swear, Will Greer is like 35 years old. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it feels like when he's does he graduate? Yeah. Um, so he's again, yeah, prepping for the draft. Uh, so that will be interesting. Okay. That, um, yeah, so, I think that, I mean, I would, I think I would have, uh, said the Mountaineers would be favored to win, but that might change the equation if he's not going to be under center. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you just don't know what to get out of these, these backup guys. And I mean, for West Virginia, obviously you want to win this game, right. but they do kind of get the bonus of getting the guy who's going to be under center next year. Uh, getting a chance to compete at a pretty high level. I know it's, I know it's in the Camping World Stadium, um, in the Camping World Bowl, um, but overall, this this is still a pretty high profile game, and that should get them a lot of attention. So I, I think it's going to be yeah, it's an evening matchup exciting. on the twenty eighth. So this is the the day before all the really big games, and it's an evening game. Yeah. So this will be a lot of attention for these two teams. It's a great publicity opportunity for those athletes and those coaches. Yep. All right, number six point five. Uh, this is the Rose Bowl, Ohio State and Washington. I think this will be a great game. This will be Urban Meyer's swan song as he has announced he's stepping down uh, due in part to medical complications from an arachnoid cyst on his brain, which has been causing these horrible migraine headaches, caused him to drop to the ground in pain in the game earlier this year. Um, and then Washington, which has been um, a good team this year, but has, has uh, was not able to break into college football playoff territory with some key losses. So I think this will be a good matchup. I would definitely say Ohio State is going to be favored to win, but you'll never know what Washington has up its sleeve, and it'll be a good one, I think. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, 
and I mean the the prestige of the Rose Bowl at the at the end of it. This is always just a great event to watch. That you rarely see blowouts. They're almost always competitive. The uh, the pomp and circumstance of this. This is a fun sporting event to watch. If you're a college football fan, uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who's not watching the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. Yeah, totally. What's going to be so interesting about the the Rose Bowl going forward, um, as the debate about the college football playoff is coming more online, is the Rose Bowl is actually one of the reasons why they went with a four team playoff right. instead of an eight team playoff. Because the Pac-12 and the Big Ten wouldn't give up the Rose Bowl um, as a constant um, playoff game, right. so uh, this this is one of the the most important ones, right? What what do they always call it? The granddaddy of them all. So I'm I'm excited for this game. Um, Ohio State has been really good, minus that game against Purdue. Um, I don't I don't like seeing Ohio State so good because of my dislike for Urban Meyer, but this is a really good football team. Well, I think I'll take care of business against Washington. Yeah, and I think Dwayne Haskins has been underrated in part because there are some other quarterbacks who have been doing really good things this year as well, uh, namely Tua Tagovailoa and Kyler Murray, who won the Heisman. But Dwayne Haskins has been having quite a season himself and is also in the conversation for being a first-round draft pick. He set Big, t- big Ten records this year for touchdown passes and passing yards. Um, so, I mean, this guy has another gear i think still to go and jake browning on the other hand on the washington side of the ball i really liked jake browning two years ago i thought he was a really accurate passer but um the numbers this year have not backed them up so back that up so we'll see i would call an ohio state victory um okay moving on here let's wrap this up pete we have coming in at four and a half on the watchability rankings the peach bowl florida and michigan to me this is a statement game opportunity for jim harbaugh I'm looking for the Michigan defense to come out and come out flailing in this. They're playing in Atlanta, Georgia, in that beautiful, massive Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um, And uh, Florida coming in ranked number 10, Michigan ranked number 7. Michigan pretty mad at the loss to Ohio State that effectively kept it out of the college football playoff and out to make a statement win here. What do you think, Pete? Uh, Absolutely. That Michigan team got embarrassed by Ohio State at home when they were favored. On Saturday night, I mean, they that that could not have gone worse for Michigan. Um, and I think if they don't bounce back, it is a bigger statement on the state of that program than anything else. Florida's been good. Don't get me wrong. Florida's been good. But that Michigan defense, just like you said, should stifle them uh, to the point that I expect this to be um, probably a 20 to 17 type game. I think it's going to be a lot more low scoring than most of the other bowl games. We'll see. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, do you think, though, that Florida is actually really good? Are, are, uh, are they for real, I, I guess, is what I'm asking. Like, so they're 9-3. and three. They finished yep. second in the SEC East. But yep. but I'm just not convinced that their wins are actually like really impressive for this year. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pulling, the, the, I'm pulling the them up right SEC now. We can East go over them weak. as soon as my page loads, which is uh, taking a long time. The, the SEC East is, is weak. I think that they are for real, but I think that they absolutely benefited um, from a, a weak division overall. I mean, what, what were their signature wins this year, to, to be completely honest? Right, I, so uh, opening weekend, Charleston Southern, they won 53-6. to Wow, amazing. Powerhouse. Uh, yeah, Powerhouse. Exactly. Kentucky, they lost 27-16. to um, They won yep. against Colorado State, who's terrible. They won against Tennessee, who's terrible. Yep. They won against Mississippi State by seven points, so not too impressive. They beat LSU, who I think was overrated um, most of the year. They beat them by eight points. They beat Vanderbilt by only 10. They lost to Georgia by 19 points. 
They lost to Missouri by 21 points. And then they beat South Carolina, they beat Idaho, and they beat Florida State. So I don't see any statement wins there to suggest that they actually are for real. I mean, maybe over LSU, maybe. But I really, like I said, I thought LSU was overrated most of the year. So I'm really not convinced that the Gators are actually back. Uh, It it would be nice if they were, just because that would make this a really compelling game to watch. But um, as it is, I have it ranked high mostly because Michigan's out for blood. uh, And I, I hope that it'll be a close competitive game. Same. All right, next up, we're moving into CFP territory now here, Pete. You have this ranked as the number two most watchable game, and I I think probably just despite Alabama have it ranked as the fifth most watchable <laughs> game. This is the Orange Bowl with Alabama and Oklahoma played in Miami at 8 p.m. on the 29th. So this is obviously the number one and number four seed in the college football playoff playing for a spot in the championship game. So I'll go first here and just say that the reason I have this ranked low is just because I don't really have an interest in watching Alabama compete for a CFP slot anymore. That, that lost its luster for me about three years ago. Um, so this is just a very familiar place to find ourselves here. Yeah. I, uh, I agree on that. I'm, I'm absolutely tired of the, the Alabama litany that seems to just be going on. But at the end of the day, my friend, I mean, we do have the Heisman winning quarterback, and one of the closer Heisman races we've seen the last five to six years on the other side, who I think was the clear-cut favorite until about a week and a half left in the season. Right. Um, so I, I think we're going to see good football. And while I think we all hate the, the name on the front of about half the jerseys uh, in this matchup, yeah. this, this should be a lot of fun to watch. And I mean, the, the defense in Alabama is going to be stout. The Oklahoma defense is really really bad um which is insane for a number four team right um but i think that's that's what helped pad kyler murray's run to the, right. the heisman so well much and at the end of the day when you can team. score 55 points a game you don't actually need a defense yeah yeah so i i think it'll be interesting to see the adjustments that nick saban makes right. in order to try to slow down that oklahoma offense um and i, I think that is the the most watchable part of this but it it should be a, a good game. Well, I, I'm I interested mean, to now see. Now that I said that, it's not going to be. Given the Alabama Georgia matchup for the SEC title, um, I'm interested to see if Saban throws any wrinkles in there with inter interchanging um, Tua and Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts was the yeah. quarterback who came in after Tua was hurt and led them back to beat Georgia. And I'd be interested to see if Saban tries to get creative with that and throw some wrinkles against the uh, Oklahoma defense. Yeah, that's fair. All right, number three, we rank this as number third all the way across. We have Georgia and Texas playing in the uh, Superdome in New Orleans. Um, this one, I think, is interesting because it's an opportunity for us to find out, I think, if Texas is real. Tom Herman has the same problem so far, I think, that uh, we already talked about Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin have. It's, it's hard for him to close out big games against big opponents. And so he's coming in with a Texas squad that really has no um, – no flashy stars, but I think has a lot of solid starters and they have a lot of, they have enough talent on there to compete against uh, some of the best teams, but we haven't really seen them put it all together in a big way. Um, And when they've had an opportunity to like against Oklahoma in the, uh, in the second matchup between those two teams this year or against West Virginia. Um, So I'm interested to see what Tom Herman can do and same for Georgia. I mean, this is an opportunity for a statement here because they are coming in having, basically just missed the cutoff for the college football playoff. Um, and they uh, they would have definitely gotten in there if they had beaten Alabama, but Jalen Hurts had other plans uh, in the SEC championship game. And that was, you know, he, he, Georgia snatched defeat from the 
jaws of victory in that game too. So Georgia's looking for a statement win and Texas is looking for a statement win. And I think it'll be a good game. Yeah. I much like, I think Florida is probably three or four spots too high. I still think Texas is a little higher than they should be. Um, just kind of going back to the conversation we had about Florida with signature wins back and forth, probably only one or two um, right there in Austin. Um, but overall, um, I think both of these programs are fun to watch and easy yeah. to root for. And that honestly helps my watchability factor here that Texas for what three or four years was just in the gutter in terms of how the, the boosters were acting towards the football program, how bad the football program was, uh, how they got rid of Mac Brown. I mean, it's just, it was, it was in such dire straits for so long. I am so glad to see Texas back um, and not, not back in terms of always going to be the powerhouse, but at least back in that they're going to be competitive. Right. They're going to be in the conversation, well, right? Yeah. And, and I think that is really good for college football. Yeah. I think these big programs need to be back for college football. I think that's what made this year so weird is all of our blue bloods with the exception of probably four of the top five. Right. Um, it, it was just all over the mm-hmm. place. I mean, Kentucky is number 14. <laughs> yeah. is not what is happening here. That, that is driving people to their televisions. Right. I mean, it's, it's hopefully going to be competitive in that game, but overall, um, this game, I'm just excited to watch. The Sugar Bowl is always a good time down there in in New Orleans. I mean, Texas playing on a on a New Year's Six Bowl, like that's huge. Yep. I'm I'm glad to see them back. I'm disappointed that Georgia got left out. I think they should have been. I agree with that decision. Um, but overall, with how good of a season Georgia had, um, that's a little bit of a bummer for me. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, all right, number two on the list. I had this as my number one most watchable game. You had it as your number four that averages out to two, 2.5. So an average watchability score of 2.5. And uh, get ready, Pete. This is a rant coming up. Fiesta Bowl, UCF, Central Florida versus Louisiana State, LSU, playing in Glendale, Arizona. So the reason I have this yeah. as the number one, Pete, this is really a, um, I guess this is a statement ranking more than a, a declaration of the football quality of this game. But okay. here, here's where I come in on this. So the the college football playoff committee says at the beginning of the season that there is actually a path for UCF to compete in the college football playoff, right? My question is, and this is rhetorical, but my question is what would they have had to do to get that spot in the college football playoff? Because now we're seeing Central Florida, which is a non-Power 5 team, of course, uh, playing for a bowl game that is not a CFP game after two consecutive seasons, two consecutive seasons without a loss. This team has not lost since the 2016 calendar year and they are not in the college football playoff. And there's no, there's no conceivable way in sight for them to get in. And the problem is the system is set up so that a power five team or a non-power five team could potentially maybe possibly get in the conversation for that spot if it had a strong strength of record against good power five teams. But the problem here is that a good power five team is never going to want to play UCF because they're afraid that they'll get beaten and then hence lose their own chances at getting into a college football playoff or getting into a near six bowl or whatever. So UCF has really no plausible conceivable path to getting into the CFP. If, uh, if that's going to be the way it is. And if the committee is not going to look so, at a team going undefeated for two straight years and put them in the CFP semifinals, then I don't even know what to do with that. And I look at this so, game. Sorry, go ahead. You can cut me off here. Well, I'm I'm going to counter one of your yeah, points. Yeah, sure. So I, I agree that they, they should have been set up for success a little more than they were by the, the committee this year. But 
have you seen all this going back and forth between UCF and Florida with this this two-for-one deal that they're trying to work out? So Florida came out to say, we will play UCF three times in the next three or, three or four years. We're going to two-for-one. So you come to us twice, we will go to you once. And UCF turned around and said, we will not do that because that is not a fair deal to us. But Florida is clearly on a higher level than UCF. So UCF is picking and choosing the Power 5 programs that they actually want to compete against. I mean, the the Power 5 programs who they competed against this year were UNC, which was canceled by a hurricane. UNC was really bad this year, so I don't know if that actually would have helped them. Pitt, who they did thrash, um, and then Pitt really turned on later in the season. And then we we look at the other competition of just the, the conference they're in. They're... The only team who they really lined up against was Cincinnati, who they did win against. But overall, UCF cannot be picking and choosing the Power 5 programs who they want to compete against like this. And and I get it. Power 5 programs don't want to go to UCF and play in that stadium because exactly. I mean, take it from the guy who watched his team go to ODU and and lose in front of 5,000 people that you don't want that to happen. But but at the, the same time, while I was in the... UCF deserves a chance. This conversation this week has been so absurd and shows me that UCF just wants to be the special children out there. So I I agree with you. I I think the watchability is good. I think LSU is kind of reeling right now. So I I truly expect UCF to win this game. Uh, But overall, I'm I'm starting to kind of lose the faith that UCF really wants to be treated like everyone else uh, and instead just wants to you know, have their asterisks next to the, the national champions in 2017 and now 2018 when they win this bowl game. Right. Well, yeah, first of all, I can't wait for that. That's going to be great when they change the Twitter handle again to 2019 yeah. national champions. Um, You know, I, I guess I would say that they don't want special treatment. I think they just want to be treated like a power five school, which maybe is not a realistic expectation for a non-power five school. But, uh, yeah. you know, I don't I don't see a scenario in which um, Ohio State agrees to a two for one split with florida games right so i think ucf just they have this conception of themselves or they're they're very consciously trying to build this brand of ucf football and that does not go hand in hand with the two for one split where florida gets the preferential you know two home games and ucf only gets one so i get it i mean i'm excited for this game because i think this is an opportunity for ucf to truly make a statement about how messed up the cfb system is because louisiana state is the is the team that had some really good games this year. And yeah, they got thrashed by Alabama. That didn't help. But, um, you know, they went to seven overtimes with Texas A&M. Those are two SEC powerhouses duking it out. And UCF here has an opportunity to come in and beat LSU and say, hey, look, CFP committee, we're, we're here. So that's what I'm excited about there. Um, moving on to our final one. At 1.5 overall watchability rankings, I gave it a two. You, get, you gave it a one. We have Clemson and Notre Dame. So talk through why this is your most watchable game of the 2018-2019 bowl season, Pete. So I, I think this is a huge test for, for Brian Kelly and Notre Dame. Um, I was not a believer in Notre Dame for most of this season, to be honest. I think that they seem to be catching teams a lot while they were down. I think their non-conference affiliation continues to benefit them more than anything else. Um, but I'm a believer in Ian Book uh, under center for, for Notre Dame, and I think that Notre Dame defense is better than advertised right Agreed. now. So I, I think this is going to be a good game. I don't really see them being able to keep up with Clemson with how how just destructive that Clemson defense is um, and how exciting it is for them um, w- with a quarterback shift, what, three weeks into the season this year, 
Um, and, and just the way that, that Dabo Sweeney, uh, I think, is certainly not underrated. Everyone respects him and knows he's doing a great job, but he just leads a good program down there in Clemson, South Carolina. Um, and so I, I think this could be a fun one because I'm, I'm rooting for Notre Dame to keep it close. Right. I really am. Um, I'm hoping it's a good game. Um, but overall, I think that Clemson defense is just a hair better right now. Uh, but Notre Dame has surprised me in a, in a pleasant way um, that they've, they've been better. I think they still need to join a conference in order for them to be in the college football playoff, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, but overall, I, I think this is the most exciting game on the slate. You know, the moment this year where I thought Notre Dame actually was for real was be- because there have been many years <laughs> it, it, recently where yeah. Notre Dame has a really strong record early on and then they, they fade down the stretch or, you know, whatever, get dismantled by Alabama and the BCS championship, whatever. Um, yeah. But the moment this year where I thought Notre Dame actually was for real was when they went to Yankee Stadium. We already talked about the Shamrock Classic when they played Syracuse. I thought Syracuse would yeah. actually make that a competitive game. And from the beginning, it was evident that Notre Dame was controlling the tempo of that game. They were marching up and down the field at will. They were forcing turnovers against Dino Babers' crew. And that was, wasn't a home game for Syracuse, but Syracuse plays in New York State, obviously on you know the other side of it. But um, they didn't have to travel as far. They're used to playing uh, in New York winter weather, et cetera. Uh, but Notre Dame really kind of embarrassed Syracuse there. So that was yep. when I realized, okay, maybe this is a, a slightly different Notre Dame team than, than some of the ones we've been used to. And I think you're right. They, this, I think, will be competitive. I also would think Clemson's going to be favored. Uh, or, uh, they are favored. I think that they will um, win it. But I am also rooting for Notre Dame to keep it keep it close and keep it interesting. So, I I, I don't like Brian Kelly. I, I will totally, say that yeah, to start sure. out with. I don't, I don't put him on the level of Urban Meyer or any of those no. guys in terms of how much I dislike them. Um, but keep in mind, two years ago, this program wasn't bull eligible. I mean, they were calling for Brian Kelly's head um, and good on the Notre Dame administration for kind of hanging with him. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, I'll tell you, um, the the Virginia Tech faithful are hoping that it, it looks something similar to, to Notre Dame where just a rash of injuries two years ago devastates the team. They have to rebuild from start to finish. And they, because they can grow these guys and they can convince these guys to stay and to, to play through their junior and senior year, right. they're really able to do something special. So I think he is a better coach than I've been giving him credit for for a long time. I still don't think he's a good dude, uh, but I think he's a better coach than I've given him credit for. So uh, in a way, that's that's kind of fun to watch as well, that this team who was so down a couple years ago and in such dire straits, again, uh, a college football um, blue blood, um, it's good to see them back. Yeah, totally agree. Well, Pete, that's it. The watchability rankings, the definitive list for your 2018-2019 bowl season. Thanks for doing this for us. Pete, we're, we're doing this in just under an hour, too, so it's perfect. We, we got it in just in time. Nailed it. Any closing thoughts? Um, I do have a question for yeah. you, my man. Shoot. What is the similarity between uh, Notre Dame and marijuana? Oh, boy. I, I don't know where this is going. Tell me. They, bo- they both get smoked in a bowl. <laughs> All right, we'll see. We'll see if that prediction comes true. You can watch Notre Dame and Clemson play on the 29th of December at 4 p.m. That is the number one game in our watchability rankings of 2018-2019. Thanks so much for listening to this new rebranded podcast, the podcast formerly known as Third String. It is now The Lineup. Thanks so much for listening. If you guys want to give us some feedback, you can do that at the lineup at vernacularpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at The Lineup Pod. Just reach out, let us know what you think, give us some feedback on what we missed, what we should have covered, and we'll talk to you next time.